Thanks, Megan, for reading. Thank you, church, for singing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help me not preach any words in my flesh. And I pray that as we hear, we would hear your words inspired by your Spirit. And that your word would have a spiritual effect on us. You know, God, ways in which we here today need your help to repent. And you know how your word might help us repent. And you know, God, in your wisdom, your providence, and your kindness, how suffering, struggling, stumbling Christians might be encouraged to continue in faith and obedience by your word. Most of us are both. Things that we need to repent about, we pray that you would help us. Things that we ought to be encouraged in, help us. For your glory and our joy in Christ's name. Amen. Fierce wolf. Can you picture him? You find yourself walking along the familiar path in the wilderness, and suddenly he appears before you, a fierce wolf. Everything else in the forest is entirely quiet. Can you hear him breathing beneath his snarl? Can you see his whiskers and his cheeks scrunched up above his nose as he reveals razors clenched in his mouth? Do you notice his hair bristling above his shoulders? Can you see that you are in his unflinching gaze, that his glare is fixed on your neck? His flattened ears alert you. He is agitated, hungry, desperate. Can you see him crouched, nearly shaking, begging, waiting for the opportunity to pounce and devour? Can you picture him in his fierceness? And are you aware that he may be very near to you in this very room? This very moment. Do you know what he wants? Can you recognize him among men? This is the image in the center of this passage, structurally in the center, but also the driving image in the passage that the Bible wants to instill in our minds a picture of danger, a picture of warning. A picture of the fierce wolf. We are learning through Acts that the church will face various trials of many kinds of opposition and danger. 
as we preach through God's Word, we have found that the church has faced lying internally, division internally, persecution from religious authorities, persecution from government authorities. James was killed by the sword in chapter 12. There is imprisonment in Jerusalem, imprisonment in Asia, imprisonment in Greece, in Macedonia. And now, in chapter 20, Paul warns the church about another danger that they will be facing in every era until the Lord returns. Fierce wolves. The title of today's sermon, if you are looking for one, is Wolves Within God's Flock. The sermon has two main points today. One, the profile on wolves. The profile on wolves. And secondly, how we protect against wolves. Profile on wolves and then protecting against the wolves. I am a son of a Baptist preacher. Alliterations have been inherited. So there you go. The profile on wolves. You most certainly grew up with books about animals. They teach you, you might flip through a book that has different pages or sections about different animals, and they teach you about that animal's habitat, what they eat, what they are like, what their social interactions might be like. Kids, maybe you have a favorite book today. Maybe it's about whales, maybe it's about dinosaurs. Maybe adults, you still have a favorite book today. Someone just gave me a book about dinosaurs recently. I was very grateful. What about wolves? What about wolves? What does the page on wolves say in Scripture? Paul is warning the church about wolves, a threat to the ministry of the church. In part, we need to be careful to know the profile on wolves because Jesus taught us that false prophets, that wolves don't show up and say, I'm a wolf, I'm here to devour you. you know, they, we all know they come in red hoods. Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. So Paul wants the church, in particular the elders of the church in Ephesus, to know about wolves. What is the profile of this fierce beast? Well, first, let's see what Paul refers to as a wolf. What is a wolf in Acts chapter 20? The simple answer is they are false teachers. A wolf in the flock of God is someone who comes to teach and teaches false doctrine. It says it very simply but profoundly in chapter 20, verse 30. These wolves come in, and what is the thing that they are doing? They are speaking twisted things. That might not sound so dangerous to you. Someone trying their best, speaking twisted things. These wolves, their bite, as it were, is speaking twisted things. That is, they take things that are true and they pervert them. They use the Bible, but they twist the Bible. This is satanic. 
This is evil. This is Satan, like in the Garden of Eden, taking God's words and using them against God's people, but slightly altering them to give them an entirely different message while still having the ring of truth, while still sounding. It's got the words that God used, but you have rearranged them to make them into something else entirely. There might be truth on the label, but poison in the bottle. A wolf is someone who comes to speak twisted things in the church. Sounds good. He's using his Bible. We were, we were laughing the other night, our, our Wednesday night Bible study. I played a, a video of a, a minister in, in church. I don't even know where they were, but it was someone who was way off. I mean, saying God lied and the serpent told the truth. That's the point of the sermon. God lied. Thankfully, the serpent was there to enlighten Eve. That was the happy point of the sermon. We were kind of laughing about it and joking about it, but then trying to seriously explain this is the world that we are living in. Uh, this has to do with First Kings in some ways. And one of, the, one of the brothers jokingly trying to encourage said, well, at least the minister used their Bible. <laughs> Not a compliment in this case. Wolves are going to use the Bible. They're going to come under the name of Jesus. They're going to look, try to make themselves look like sheep, but they're going to twist the words in Scripture. Bringing a meaning contrary to the Bible, words that sound like they're bringing life, but are bringing death. Where do these wolves come from? Where do these false teachers come from? Look what he says in verse 29 through 30. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you. They will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves. From among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw the disciples away after them. One of the ways you might find wolves try to get into the church is through the membership class. By asking to be teachers. By wanting to be elders. Maybe he was one of the elders. Maybe Paul had someone specific in mind in Miletus. Someone among yourselves here. Like when Jesus prophesied about the one who would betray him. The point is not that we are to live in perpetual fear and skepticism of everyone around us. But it is to teach us not to think that the only danger is from without. The only place we have to look for the front of false teaching is just going to show up out there in the world, in the college classrooms. It's only going to show up out there in all those false churches. It's only going to be in Benny Hinn's church and Joel Alstein's church. No, the danger might be in our church, in this church, and among yourselves. The great threat in this case is not from Rome or outside government influences. It's not an outside religious body or an outside philosophy class. This is not a political group outside of the church that is oppressing them. This is someone that you might first call brother. We are warned about this multiple times 
in the New Testament from Paul here, but also Peter says in 2 Peter, false prophets also arose among the people, speaking about the Old Testament, just as there will be false teachers among you, church. And they will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Jude chapter 4 says, I was going to write you about something else entirely, but I have to write you about this, that certain people have crept in unnoticed into the church. And they're causing problems doctrinally. Where might you find these fierce wolves not standing in the parking lot waiting for us to exit, not following you home to devour you there? But Paul is telling us we might find them rising up from among yourselves. They will come from among you. So Paul is teaching us a wolf is someone who comes to teach twisted things, and he tells us where to look for them. That's the profile. Look for them rising among yourselves, and what are they going to do? What will be their effect when wolves in the church are speaking on twisted things? The wolves in the church are not like the wolves in the woods. What do they do? They do not simply come to devour. They do something significantly more subtle. They want to draw away. Look at verses 29, the end there. These wolves are coming. They are not going to spare the flock. It means they're actively harming the flock. They're not holding back, so they are oppressing the flock. End of verse 30, in order to, what is their goal? To draw away disciples. That is, they want sheep to change their beliefs and leave the church. Wolves want sheep to start thinking they have a better way than God's Word. Wolves want sheep to quit listening to sound teaching and listen to that which we read in 1 Timothy this morning, that which tickles the ears and makes you happy, makes you comfortable, affirms what you already believe. Wolves come to speak twisted things within the church to draw away disciples from the faith and physically away from the church where the word is preached. Their twisted words are their things by which they draw sheep from the flock and drag them away. The most vicious thing in the wolf's mouth is not his teeth, it's his tongue that might draw disciples away. God's people have faced this in every single era of redemption. It is constant. Know that the first sin that came in the form of the first temptation was a simple question by the serpent to Adam and to Eve, to Eve first, did God really say? And then he repeated God's words, but he twisted them. And what did it do? It deceived Eve. And it drew her away. This is what wolves do they draw away from God's word by twisting God's word 
Not unlike Hananiah and Jeremiah. Jeremiah said, you will be in captivity for 70 years. And Hananiah comes up and he says, no, it's two. You can imagine how much happier it would be for Israel to say, Jeremiah, you, you are so curmudgeon-y with your 70 years. You're, so, such, a, you're such a frowning prophet. Hananiah has a message of hope and freedom and joy. We like his better. And Hananiah died. Wolves, this is the profile, will come in among you. They will speak twisted things in order to draw you away. That's what they do. That's what we should look for. That's what, we should, that's what Paul wants us to know about wolves. That's what he wants us to know about false teachers in Acts chapter 20. As you're flipping through the book of Acts and seeing all the opposition that we're going to face, the profile for wolves is they're going to come in among you in Ephesus. They're going to speak twisted things. They're going to try to get disciples to come away from the faith, away from the truth. How do we deal with wolves? How do we protect against wolves? That's a profile for wolves. How do we protect the church against wolves? For the next part of our sermon, I'm largely going to be speaking in terms of men, addressing men. There's a few reasons for this. One, Paul's charge in Acts 20 is a charge to elders in Ephesus. They would have been men, pastors. So all three words for pastor are referred to here, two explicitly, Poimenos and the Episcopos overseer. And the last one, the shepherd, is referred to as those who are given charge of the flock of God. These are elders who have an office, who have a charge to oversee the church. These are men. So Paul is talking to that group when they go back to pastor, to shepherd their church. But I want you to hear this does not mean that there is no application for women. I'm going to be talking to men here for the next few moments, and women, you're just, you know, y'all can go get coffee. On the contrary, the heart of how we deal with wolves is something our generation of the church is desperate for women to be a part of. We're thirsty for it, we are hungry for it, and we need it in order to face wolves in the church. So, women, listen, this includes your charge as well. But I also am going to be referring to men specifically because I want to refer, as Paul does, the men of Ephesus to the men specifically at Millwood Baptist Church. To you men, I want you to listen especially careful today, even as all of us ought to be listening. How do we protect against wolves? First way of several is we need men who turn to care for the church. Men who turn to care for the church. You can see I'm going to be phrasing these. Keep remembering this is not exclusive to men. It is particular to the elders of the church. I'm speaking to men today. This obviously applies to women in principle. We need men who turn to care for the church. Look what he says in Acts chapter 20, verse 28 and verse 31. Pay careful attention to yourselves and, implied, pay careful attention to all the flock. Pay careful attention to the flock. 
in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to, what should you be doing, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Verse 31, it says, Therefore, you ought to be alert. Alert. Pastors of our church, preaching to myself and to John and to Cal at the moment, this is especially to us. Guard the flock from false teachers and false teaching. Be alert about it. Watch for it. When the church doesn't have appetite for true or difficult teaching, but would rather do what Paul warned about and inquire for themselves teachers to itch their ears. You don't stop caring about sound doctrine. When, when wolves are speaking false things, stand up and speak the truth of Jesus Christ. This is how we love the church as pastors, shepherds. But that said, there are implications for this to all men in the church who by virtue of being men have a special opportunity to serve as overseers in the church. The church needs men to grow from being only sheep to being shepherds. Men who turn from merely being sheep to watching over the sheep. Do you see this? Men who turn from constantly holding the church responsible for their lives and instead face the church and hold themselves responsible for the church. Do you see this? You care for the flock. Don't just be the flock. Care for the flock in a special way. You pay careful attention to the flock. You come from out of the flock in a speak or come into a new perspective in the flock so that you're now looking at the flock and you're caring for them and protecting them. Men who win the flock in the wilderness comes across a wolf. That man steps forward out of the flock and seeing the wolf puts himself between the wolf and the flock with his doctrine, as we will see, and with his life. We do not look for people who want to be pastors and just make them pastors. And then they begin caring for the flock. We look for men who turn in order to care for the flock. And then recognize them for what they are, pastors, and how they're already living. We need men who will turn to care for the church, see themselves as looking at the church to care for it in their disposition. Secondly, Paul gives us the example that we need men who forget their own lives. We need men who will position themselves between the church and wolves as caregivers and protectors We need men who will forget their own lives. Paul's example is of himself that he wants the elders to hear him say. Verse 24, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. That's how I think about my life going forward to Jerusalem, where I know that I'm going to be bound and imprisoned. And that's how I've been thinking about my life all around Macedonia and here in Asia in Ephesus. I don't account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish the course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. This is how Paul conducted himself in his whole life 
as an apostle. He's not given over to self-protection and self-service. Men, we must be men who forget ourselves and instead want the good of the church. What happens to me is no regard to myself. I just want to make sure that the church is good. Men, is that you? Or have you put the church in judgment based on how they serve you? Christ shepherds will have a cross-shaped focus. Myself for the sheep. Myself as a giver to the sheep. My life is of no value to myself, only precious in that it preaches and teaches the gospel and cares for the church. Wolves will sneak into the church while men have their backs turned to the church but facing the world. Loving the world. Pursuing a career. Loving money. Just wanting intimacy with your wife but not leading in your home. When you give yourself to sensuality and give yourself to those things, but you still go to the church on the side, men, we are a part of letting wolves sneak in right behind us into the church. We ought to forget our lives and move from the consumeristic side to the caregiving side of the church. Look what Paul says about himself in chapter 20, verse 30. Three to 35, when I was there, I coveted no one's silver or gold apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and those who were with me. And all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. He said to himself, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Is giving to the church on my calendar? Is growing in the word my plan for next year? Is listening to the preaching carefully my goal in gathering? We need men who forget their own lives and care to lay it down for the sake of the ministry of the gospel. Thirdly, we need men who will give the flock their years. It's a very practical thing. One of the things Paul showed them in order to endear the church to his leaders, the elders to his leadership, was in verse 31. You remember, remember, that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Three years. Teaching the church and guarding the flock is not something that you do on a a weekend schedule. He says in verse 20, go back up to verse 20, what did he do? He was preaching publicly, but he was also doing so from house to house, privately. We, just don't, we, we don't just need teachers who want to hold big classrooms that get announced and so you can fill a room under your teaching, but Christians, men who are willing to go house to house and privately teach those who need care. Sometimes the, direct, the teaching might be just directed at a few and no one would ever hear about that teaching. A church protected from false teaching will have memory of men who gave their years to that church. A church protected from false teaching will have memory of men teaching the Bible for years. And for that matter, women teaching, growing in theology, growing in doctrine, clarifying the gospel and the word of God, as we saw with Apollos 
a few weeks ago. Let me just encourage you to plan to stay at a church as long as you can. Plan to stay at the church that God leads you to as long as you can and give yourself time to minister to that church. If you're in college and you're thinking about where you might go when college is over or when your first few years of your career are over, let me encourage you to think about church and where you might stay and how you might help teach, how you might help defend that flock from wolves. If you're going to leave college or leave Austin to go somewhere and work, let me encourage you to think about not just what career can I get. You can get a career anywhere. You can get a job anywhere. Think about what church might need your help in saying, I'm going to come here and I'm going to continue to listen and affirm and help teach however I can and defend and love and celebrate the sound doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ. And for that matter, that might take you to a country where there is very little gospel ministry. And you know what missionaries and pastors are desperate for in countries where there is very little gospel but there is great opposition? Normal Christian men and women who know the gospel and can discern truth from lie. They're desperate for it all over the world. So if you can do your job online, or if your job is anywhere, you could go find a job anywhere in the world, or you can just take some time to go teach English for a few years and go serve a local church in any country Let me encourage you to do that. You don't even have to be an elder. You don't even have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a man. You can go to that church and say, my goal here is supporting the protecting of the sheep through the celebrating and enjoying and teaching and affirming sound doctrine of Jesus Christ. Because I know one of the challenges that will face every church across the world will be that wolves might come up within them. Give the church your years. Stick around. Watch wolves come and go. Be there when a wolf might come. Do like Paul and give your years. Whether that's preaching or teaching or one-on-one discipleship. Give a church your years. Next, we need men teaching the whole counsel of God's Word. Men teaching the whole counsel of God's Word. Look what Paul says in verse 20. He says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. I held nothing back. Nothing. Look what he says in verses 26 and 27. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. I'm innocent of your blood. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God's word. The church is guarded from the twisted words of wolves by teaching the whole counsel of God's word. Not picking and choosing. Not jumping around. And by men and women who grow in maturity to handle the whole Bible. And not just remember John 3.16. And not just remember the Roman road but to know the whole counsel of God's Word. So that when a wolf comes in and starts speaking twisted things, you can go, I know that is not true. I know that's false. Or in your own mind, when you begin wondering and thinking things, you can tell yourself, I know better than that. I know better than that. 
Wolves love to twist words of Scripture by avoiding parts which might be more difficult. But Paul would not avoid anything. Church, you can be saved by only hearing and believing John 3.16. But we will not adequately protect the church from wolves if we don't know and teach the whole counsel of God's Word. Books like Ezekiel, Revelation, and Leviticus. Aren't you thankful for Daniel's message last week? Themes of sin, words like wrath, eternal judgment. How do those words make you feel? Wrath, eternal judgment. I've seen people leave our church in my memory recently for these kinds of words. Submission, forgiveness, subjects of election, conversion. The word repentance must come out of our mouths, as did Paul's. Here's a word for you, church. Be careful that you are not only that you are not found grumbling about the very thing that protects you, church. When men in the church are so concerned about doctrine in the Bible, in theology through the Bible, what you may potentially feel is persnickety or overly excited about theological questions may be the very thing that is helping protect the purity of the church. That's the charge that your pastors in particular have been given. You might find frustration with the very thing that is protecting the church, which is giving careful attention to yourselves and to the flock, teaching the whole counsel of God's Word. We don't find some things, well, yes, some truths are more fundamental than others. We do not pick and choose that which is important. We cannot just simply say baptism is not that important. The question of election is not too important. The end times, you don't have to worry about that. Don't have an opinion. It doesn't matter. No one really agrees on those things, so we, don't, we shouldn't talk about those things. We can't say that. Because Paul would not hold back the entire counsel of God's Word. And so we must not, in order to face and throw away and protect the church from wolves. Women, this is where you are also at the heart of protecting the church from wolves. Titus expects that women teach and train. Despite what some people think about the church, this church does not say we just love women when they're barefoot and pregnant. We want teachers, women. We want you to know your Bibles, women. We want you to go to building blocks, women. We want you to teach, women. We want you to know the whole entire counsel of God's Word so that you too can help facing off wolves and protecting the church of God. So we need women who are in their Bibles every day and can say, that's a wolf in sheep's clothing. Next, we need men conducting themselves with godliness. This deserves an entire sermon. Paul gave it an entire two books in First and Second Timothy. You can tell the wolves from the shepherds by their lives. This is part of Paul's credibility, and it is setting up the elders to discern between wolves and shepherds and how to live as shepherds, as pastors. Look what he says in Acts chapter 20, 
verse 18. You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. One of the ways that you can tell wolves from sheep is by their love for silver and gold. In Paul's case, in the case of Ephesus, Paul says, I coveted no one's silver or gold apparel. Someone who, instead of loving a position in the church, who exalts themselves to a seat in the church, and who loves to benefit from the church, instead someone who comes and says, I was with you in humility. I worked hard instead. This is the great combination of those who would confront wolves in the church, not arrogant, not boastful about themselves, not eager to lord their leadership over the church, but humble in character, righteous and godly in their character, able to teach men of godly character. Isn't this the qualification for an elder in First chapter, First Timothy chapter 3? You need to be a man of teach. You need to be a man of character. For this reason, you should keep watch over yourselves, men. One of the ways you serve the church by helping the church discern between true and false witnesses is by your life, by your character. We see godliness proceed and follow your words. We cannot say, as long as I have the message right, it does not matter how I live. That's how wolves talk. And not Paul. Not us, men. Lastly, we need men who will love the church with tears. Now we come to the heart of what we're really getting at in this message and what it means for a a man to be a protector of the church. What is in the heart of the men who love the church by protecting the church? Is this simply a commission that you get signed up for, that you get paid for? Is this a a hired hunt? Or, you know, the, the, the church has a wolf problem and we go out and we hire a professional to come in few months and put all the wolves down and then we see them leave. No, these are shepherds who live among the sheep, who love the sheep, who regularly oversee them and whose hearts go out for them. See how Paul expresses himself toward the church as an example in verse 19. When I was there, I admonished you, I cared for you, I lived in humility in verse 19 and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. I stuck around when it was difficult for you. I did it with tears. Look at verse 31 on the other side of the wolf passage in the middle. Remember, remember that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish, that is to warn you with tears. Everyone with tears. The wolf speaks Soft words through fangs, while the shepherd speaks the whole counsel, hard things through tears. This is the kind of man Paul was. 
This was not just a personal relationship that Paul really, really loved those people in Ephesus. This is Paul's ministry as a shepherd. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, to the church in Corinth, you know, several hundred miles west of these brothers in Ephesus, for I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of my heart. My heart was in anguish, and I wrote with many tears. You go back and you read 1 Corinthians and remember it was written by Paul when he was in tears. And make that the tone that you read 1 Corinthians with. Not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Perhaps you come to the church with the same mindset of Jimmy Dugan. There's no crying in the church. It's like there's no crying in baseball. But friends, see the moment they must let Paul go because they know how he goes to his death in Jerusalem. Acts 20, verse 36 to 38. And when he had said these things, given them charge about the wolves and their protection, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. They accompanied him to the ship. Is that your affection for the church, men? Affection for the church? Weeping on the part of all at their parting? I want to think for a minute about where this comes from. Is Paul just one of those pastors who cries a lot? Are these just those kinds of men in Ephesus? They just tend to tear up more often than others. You know, they're not East Texas men. They're, they're Dallas men. You know. I don't think so. Paul gives us some clue as to why the church matters so much to him. And why it ought to be so precious to us. Look at Acts 20:28. 20, there you will see the ministry of salvation and safekeeping by the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. This being Paul's valuation of the church. Acts 20, 28. Paul says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Paul's evaluation and affection for the church does not come from how he felt just about them, but about how God obtained them and secures them and protects them. The sheep will make you want to quit. The sheep will fight amongst themselves. The sheep will be immature. The sheep will struggle. They will sin. They will sleep instead of prayer. There is nothing all too lovely about us sheep in and of ourselves. But what does Paul say that ought to inform their affection for the church? He tells them, the Holy Spirit made you overseers of them. You did not become an elder of this flock. You did not become a member of this church. You did not become a woman in this church simply and only because you thought they were so wonderful and so beautiful. This is by the Holy Spirit. You are not simply a hired hand. These are your sheep because of the appointment of the Holy Spirit. Likewise, this is not just the church. I mean, what do you think about the church? 
What do you think about the church? A few Christians gathering together, and they just decided this is a convenient place to meet. These people are tolerable. So I guess I'll worship there. Paul refers to them in verse 28 as the church of God. These are God's sheep, Paul said. This is God's flock. They're not their own. They're not even yours. They're God's. My grandfather used to drive me around country roads in Denison, Texas, going to find friends, fishing places, and tend to our, our own cows at the different properties that he had. And as we would drive around, my grandfather would look in the pasture, and he would just know whose cows those were. We'd just drive by and say, oh, there's, there's Billy's cow. Oh, John got a new, looks like John got a new bull. And Paul is looking at the flock in Ephesus and saying, those are gods. That's God's flock. This is the flock of, of God. Those are His sheep. They're not yours. They're not even their own. They're gods. That's how I think about them. And finally, the Trinitarian ministry is completed at the end of that verse when Paul says at the end of 28, the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Paul could have said, you are overseers, take care of the church. But he says, you've been made overseers by the Spirit, this is God's flock, and that flock was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. The chief shepherd, as Peter referred to him, in 1 Peter 5, shed his own blood on the cross for his sheep. The exchange that made this flock gods is the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. That means these sheep are absolutely, incalculably valuable to God. And this theology of the church is underneath Paul's personal relationship an affection toward them. What do you see when you look at the flock of God? You probably see what I see. You probably see what in some ways I am. Smelly. Immature. Needing to grow. Sometimes blind to my own sin. Fighting. And Paul says, yes. But they are a blood-bought. Smelly. Immature flock of God and they're a flock that is God's of which you are overseers bought by the blood of Jesus Christ and wolves want them wolves want to draw them away from their shepherd and from the church the foundation of affection for the church is not their innate value, but care for the church is grounded in seeing the church as purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so love them as you love Christ. If men will protect the church for generations to come, they must come to see, come to the cross and see there God obtained his flock by the blood. As we sing, for me it was in the garden he prayed, not my will but thine. Jesus had no tears for his own grief. But sweat drops of blood for mine and for the churches. If you are here today and you're not a Christian, know that this is the heart of the message of the Bible. 
That Jesus is the chief shepherd of God's people and that the chief shepherd died on the cross. This is the meaning of his death on the cross. He was shedding his blood for his sins. My sins and your sins, the sins of the whole world. He's the lamb slain for the whole world, John says. That can be you. That could be you if you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ today. That's what brings us all here together today. There is nothing that we love so much about each other. Amen? The thing that unites us is that we are so thankful that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and we consider one another brothers and sisters, sheep in the flock of God. And so we get together and we sing and we thank God and we encourage one another to that end. That's what it means to be a Christian, to trust the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified for your sin. Pray that and repent of your sins today and become part of the flock. Come talk to me. Come talk to Cal after the service. Come talk to John about what that means next for you. But here's also what happens when we continue to work out the meaning of the gospel of Jesus dying on the cross, his blood shed there. Men in the church will also come to see the glory of the cross as that the whole flock of God was obtained there. That what happened on the cross is not just I was saved. Not just I was saved, but I now look at the entire church and I turn and look at the church and say, that flock, God's people were obtained by His shedding His blood on the cross. How can we give such little thought to that for which God paid so high a price to obtain? How wicked are we? How ungrateful are we to stand and watch as wolves come to draw away the sheep God obtained with the blood of His own Son. That's our ambition. That's our love. Looking at the gospel and seeing that it has purchased us all together as the flock of God. That being our motivation to protect if you go to the animal control website or whatever for Austin, there's a page on coyotes. And it gives you instruction on what to do if you, can, if you find a coyote and what to do if you find, um, you know, if you bump into one on a run or if you see them in your neighborhood. And uh, let's just say, I love my dog a lot. I love him a lot. He's a great dog. I, I don't like that he sleeps on my bed, and, but I love him. And if I were to find my dog was loose, and there were coyotes running around the neighborhood chasing after my dog. A, my dog's 60 pounds. I think he might have a shot. B, I'm going to stay home and just see if my dog comes home. I'm not going after him, probably. But if one of my little girls, if she's running around the neighborhood and we, we get something, you know, a notice on a, a ring doorbell from down the street that there's a coyote in our neighborhood, um, I won't fully describe everything I might do, but let's just say I'm going out there. I'm going to go get her. And I'm going to fend off the fangs and the teeth and the hair and the snarls because that's my girl. I'll probably do the same for my son. This is the motivation for protecting the flock. These are his sheep obtained by his own blood. Fierce wolves require deep love. You love teaching, but you don't care who's gone this week. 
you would depart after a few years, how would the church feel about your departure? If you're not an elder, understand you don't start looking for wolves when you get hired as a shepherd, as an elder, so to speak. You become an elder because you show your care for the church. We need men to start now growing in doctrine and sticking around for years to protect the flock. Women, you don't need an office to do this. Grow in God's Word daily in your own reading and in theology to discern true and false doctrine. See how Paul has given us a vision of fierce wolves. But see the vision of the courageous shepherds. See the vision of the man with his staff planted in the ground, tied in his grasp with his right hand, his Bible firmly embraced in his left. See how he is tender yet firm, humble but he's resolved. Hear how he directs the sheep with the whole counsel of God's word. He warns them. He teaches them. He comforts them. See how he sternly stares down the wolf with fixed eyes under focused brows, but lovingly gazes upon the sheep. See that he is a good man, one who repents himself, one who listens to correction. See how he has his Bible open, ready to share the whole counsel of God's word. See that his chest is boasting, rejoicing, glorifying God for the privilege to care for the blood-bought flock of God. Men, be that man. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks and praise for your kindness to us in Christ. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We were bought, we were obtained with the blood of Christ. Help us be men, women who look upon the church and see it as the flock of God obtained by the blood of Jesus Christ. And therefore raise our affections in the severity and our alertness by treasuring it in that way. We pray that as most certainly throughout time, men will arise who speak twisted things. God, by your grace, might men arise who speak the whole counsel of God's word. And that we as a church would perpetually, continually tell wolves no and protect the church. We love you, Father. We pray this together in Christ's name. Amen.